This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 25 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is the first part in a little two-part series on David Mack, where we're going to be looking at his original novel, The Calling. But first, this week, we are going to be talking about his work on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are joined by Matt from the Delta Quadrant. How's it going, Matt? It's going good. Also from newly minted uh, Nerd Party podcast with uh, Trek FM alumni Tristan Riddell. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So what what exactly have you guys been doing? I mean, how many episodes do you have now? Oh, man, I think we just recorded our eighth episode yesterday. Wow. Really? Yeah. I must be missing the Twitter announcements or something, because I thought you had, like, two. No, we're up to eight. We're up to... We will be up to eight now. Um, oh, jeez. It, it's very, very new, and so we're still working on the publicity aspect of it. But, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We just talk about various different nerd topics slash franchises. Uh, we just got recording... Done recording the our retrospective on the Alien series yesterday, which will be coming out later this week. What? Excellent. Both of them? That's dope. <laughs> I think Matt likes uh, at least one or two more, right? I'm pretty sure there's only two. <laughs> there really is only two. I, I, I like Resurrection as enjoyable garbage. That's how I put it on the show. Okay. All right. Fair Resurrection enough. Resurrection. Yeah. Of Jesus? <laughs> no, of Ripley. Not, not a, I don't know who not, I will is. say not, oh, a, not a big fan pretty much at all of Alien 3, though. Okay. Well, that's okay. fair enough. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's even though you're on the the uh, Voyager show, it seems like whenever you talk to us, you're talking to us about Deep Space Nine. I, I guess you know. I, I know. I need my DS Nine outlet somewhere. It is my favorite of the Star Trek incarnations on television. So. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah. No. It does. Yeah. Come on, original series. Uh, Deep Space Nine is better than the original series. Not more important. Maybe not more important, but better. Sure. No. Anyway. The importance makes it better. <clears throat> okay, whatever. I disagree, but regardless of oh that, God, let's move Mike. on. Thank you. Silly. David Mack. Now, uh, a lot of people probably best know David Mack as the writer of a ton of Star Trek novels, uh, but we're not going to talk about his Star Trek novels. We're going to talk about his Star Trek and his novel, but not his Star Trek novels. So... Um, this week we're talking about the two episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which he wrote. Uh, both of them were co-written with uh, John Ordover, who um, worked with him on uh, in the, the publishing world, you know, in, in the Star Trek uh, franchise. And they pitched, uh, I guess, a couple ideas to um, Deep Space Nine, and a few of them were picked up. Uh, the first episode was Starship Down from Season 4 of Deep Space Nine, which the two of them actually wrote themselves. Now, um, Max, would you like to give a synopsis of, of, of Starship Down for those people who may not remember exactly which episode that is? Um, well, 
This is the episode. I remember this is the episode where Quark is on the Defiant. Yes. And so there's fun Quark on the Defiant being completely inappropriate on the Defiant action. And yes. It is actually rather funny. But it's also the one where the, the torpedo gets lodged into the ship's hull and there's a whole defusing torpedo thing. It's pretty cool. There's, a, there's some stuff early on with like the Gem Hadar, like the reason for them being there. That doesn't really matter all that much because the important thing is the circumstances that sort of set the episode up. Yeah, I mean, they described this as sort of like the Poseidon adventure, you know, where the idea was sinking the 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 Defiant and having this sort of, you know... Why wasn't it in water then? Wouldn't that have been a lot better if it that, had been in water? And, that was their original concept. Who, who, who in this group is the Gene Hackman? Boy, I don't even know. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty obviously Quark. Quark, okay. Fair enough. Um, Actually, I took him more as the Ernest Borgnine, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a cool episode in that it's uh, kind of like a bottle show, which shows it's it's a lot like Disaster from Next Generation. Yeah, except in both of these instances, like the, I think that the attempt at a bottle show ends up being paradoxically unbelievably expensive. Well, that, uh, that is one of the things that they talk they are, about. These in, are big episodes, yeah, <laughs> considering that, that, that they're in one place. There's also tons of stuff. Right, and that's one of the things that they talk about in the Deep Space Nine companion, and that, you know, I guess shoot, I'm sure shooting I'm probably, it... I'm probably just remembering that. <laughs> shooting it is really easy, in a sense, in terms of, like, working with the actors, but then there's uh, a number of complex visual effects which are required in order to tell the story as well. I think that's and pretty... sets aren't cheap. I honestly think, though, that's pretty par for the course for DS9 because I, I would even say more so than some of the other series, uh, DS9 felt much more cinematic week to week given the number of special effects shots and the the more complex storylines, more so more complex than what Star Trek was doing at the time. Sure, and that's true. And I think also the uh, the set design and the lighting played into that as well. Not that it was more expensive or whatever, but it just seemed a little bit bigger, you know? Everything was more, I guess, expansive. Well, I think it's because they were actually sort of like gradually getting better at. It. I mean, Voyager's last few seasons were very cinematic. That's true. That's true. Like they just like as a, as a group, they were getting better at making Star Trek big. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. So, uh, Matt, what are what are your thoughts on Starship Down? Well, coincidentally, this, when I was getting into Deep Space Nine for the first time, this was one of the episodes that I actually had on VHS when they were still coming out as individual episodes. Yeah. And I, what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you may not believe it, but I think I'm on the last tail end of the generation that will know what a VHS is. Probably. It's like a record, right? Yeah, it's like a cassette tape. Sweet, awesome. I had the joy of, you know, you had the joy of sticking them into the rewind machine and listening to them wind back up, and it was fantastic. Anyway, yes. uh, Starship Down, I really like this episode, but I feel like it, and I, I give this episode credit for this, it feels like uh, they're going for two different themes, because the first half of this episode, it feels a lot like, what's that submarine, is it The Enemy Below? That submarine movie with that, that where they're trying to find each other, there, there's like a German U-boat versus an American battleship? Bro, that's literally all submarine movies. 
I think I think they say in in the Deep Space Nine companion Das Boat that he he was he watched Das Boat like the night before he came up with this it, concept. It feels so. kind of like Das Boat. Yeah, which is it's, which it, is kind of a, a way that uh, one of my favorite TOS episodes, Balance of Terror, that was also taking off of the submarine aspect sure. of that. But I really enjoyed that part. But I also like the whole dichotomy shift about halfway through the episode when the Defiance disabled, and you get each of the pairs off it becomes more like disaster like you mentioned but in a very interesting way and in 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 a way that i i think each character is utilized i would say correctly i really like this episode i think that in terms of disaster episodes it's certainly better than disaster considering that episode is basically entirely about how troy sucks <laughs> and well I, I i like disaster a lot i do too you and know, I, I, mean... I even like the troy storyline but this this edges it out because there's no kids well, the kids are. Yeah, I, I like that. Why you do you put, detest children so much? <laughs> you put Picard with kids, and that, that ends up, you know, working out well. I think, but, but, but I. I it makes them sing a French song. <laughs> like, come on, dude, we get it. You're French, all right. <laughs> Cut it out with the French nonsense. <laughs> yeah, your accent. You know, we totally buy you as a Frenchman, John Luke. <laughs> So, so Max, what about you? What do you think about Starship Down? Um, I remember really liking this episode. I also don't remember the Jem Hadar element of the storyline. Well, it's it's <laughs> like the Jem Hadar element is really just sort of like the MacGuffin in yeah, a sense, you know? Yeah, like when, but like you're like Starship Down. I was like, yeah, oh, the torpedo and the defi- yeah, Quark with the yeah. I don't remember anything about Jem Hadar. Yeah, I mean, basically, the Jem Hadar are the ones which attack them, which force them to yeah, go into the it, nebula. It's, it's, it's in, it. incidental. Yeah. yeah, it could have literally been absolutely anything. They could have like cut to the opening shot. Oh no, we've been disabled by something. Yeah, but hey, yeah. what a great excuse to to use uh, James Cromwell again. That's true. Yeah, and he's he's really good in this too. He's always good. It's so he's weird. He's the Ernest Borgnine. Maybe. I mean, it's so weird to think how many episodes and you know movies and everything that he's been in of this franchise and always in like weird roles where you're like you know aside from Zephyr Cochran you're never like oh that's the one with James Cromwell you know it's always just like he's a random dude because you know whatever I don't quite get this James Cromwell thing like one day he became super famous but like he was always really good I yeah. think that it's just like but, he got popped. But yeah, well, oh, you're you're, for, you're forgetting though. This was around the time of Babe and uh, L.A. Confidential, wasn't he in that as well? Yeah, he was. I am yeah. not forgetting those things <laughs> any more than I usually. No, do. but this was around. It, this was around that time because this is like mid nineties. Yeah. Like, like I can see, like you see him in some pre-Babe stuff. See, you I know. think that this actually is like almost exactly the same time as Babe. No, it, it's it's four years after Babe. Is two, this four years after. No, two no, years, it, no. It's, oh, it's about years. a year after Babe, I think, because this is like '96, and I think Babe was '95. Oh yeah, I was thinking it was season seven, but you're right; it's season four. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, right. So first be, contact is the one like when he's big. Yeah, because first contact was done the same the year after Babe. Yeah. Right. So okay, you're right. You're right. And first My contact bad. came in out in the middle of season five at DS Nine. Yeah, so this was right before, probably right the, about the same time as Babe. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, for me, I, I mean, I I love this episode too because it really I mean, what you're saying, Matt, about uh, what it does with the characters, I think, is really cool. This that's the, the strength here. It really is kind of a bottle show. I mean, what happens outside of the ship doesn't matter at all. It's just that it, it gives them an excuse to sort of like 
put them in a locked room in a sense, put them each in their own little locked rooms. And um, it really sort of adds to their characters um, in very interesting ways. I mean, you get to see Worf be sort sort of a jerk and, and O'Brien. As opposed to always. Well, I'm just saying here. Like literally every other second he's on screen. Well, yeah, but. The I, entirety of Next Gen. But what I like about this is that as opposed to Next Gen, this is him having to adapt to a command position, which even though he wore red in season one of TNG, he didn't do any commanding back then. Oh, snap. <laughs> Max just knocked out our monitor. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. He was a he was a good burn on Worf. But but then you know you look at like the one that that I particularly like more than anything else. I mean like the Quark thing is fun, you know, and and he's like oh, saving the day God, through do the, chance the, or whatever. Come on. But the thing that I, I love no. the most is the Jadzia. Oh, God, that's disgusting. Why? Because it's the. It it is the it is the easiest part of the episode it to may, embrace. Look, maybe maybe it is, but maybe the, the reason why it's the easiest part to embrace is because it's the best part of the episode. I disagree. I I, I don't know if it's my my the best part. I don't know if it's the worst part either. I don't I don't have a best or worst. I like I said, I really like the way that all the characters are utilized, and I think what yeah. what makes it work well is that. DS9, aside from the other Trek shows, which I still like, but DS9 is the one where I care about every single one of the main cast, as opposed to something like Voyager, where I don't. So, yeah. so where, you know, I can't... I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not the one who reviews Voyager on a weekly basis, and I can safely I say know. that. Take that, your listeners. <laughs> but they already know about my feelings. <laughs> but... but DS9, I care about what happens to every single one of them, so I'm kind of emotionally with them in each of their scenarios. So because of that, I really don't have a favorite section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and that makes sense. And, I mean, any one of these, if you were to say, like, well, that's that, I, you could easily say that any of them are the best. In, in in most episodes, it would be, like, the best part of that episode because it's all so solid. You know, I mean, I, I love the stuff with um, uh, Kira and... and uh, Cisco as well, even though that's kind of like I, I would say that's the weakest part, but it's still so great because of what it does for the, those characters in that relationship. And it's like, you know, oh well, here we 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 see them deal with the fact that there's always been some distance between them, you know. And this is like, you know, the point where Cisco really makes the effort to get closer because he has to sort of. It's not not that he's coming to terms with the fact that he's distant with her, but it's sort of shining a light on that. Like their experience together in a locked room, you know, shows him that they're not as close as they should be, and I, that that's just it's it's really cool and and you know sort of a it's a very simple yet extremely effective episode. You know, and it feels like it at maybe because all these short stories are kind of like mini arcs on their own and you keep on cutting back. But the time in this thing just flies. You know, there's some episodes of Star Trek that just drag on for for days. No, I, but I know what you mean. Every time I watch this, this episode, I'm like, oh, it's over. Where, where right, did the time exactly. go? Exactly. Like, like Can I the, get a real quick list of those episodes that drag on for days? I mean, uh, aside from Caretaker 1 and 2. Okay, Alter tattoo. Ego. Okay. Bo- um, both Fairhaven anything, episodes. Anything from season mm-hmm. three of the original series. Um, yeah. You know. Okay. Justice. Yeah. Justice. Oh, that doesn't drag on. <laughs> that is the opposite problem. 
but but yeah, this one, I mean, it just flies. Like even you know when like some of the storylines wrap up, it's like that's it. Like really? No, like I, I keep on expecting there to be an, another part. But I, but at the same time, I'm thinking like you don't need to do anything more with that. See, the thing is, part of the problem with this is that this is Deep Space Nine when it was like going into like crystalline perfection mode. Yeah. When it's really hard to say that there was anything wrong. Right. I can't think of anything wrong. No. With most of season four. This is a great episode. But it's like, I mean, come on. It was gold for so long. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, the reason that I like this episode in particular is because it's really one of the only ones where I actually do like Quark. He's he's Most of the time, I can't stand that little monster. <laughs> I, I mean, I like Cork, but they, they do a good job with giving him a good sort of foil with James Cromwell's character. Yes. You know? Yes. I, he That guy is actually less likable than Quark. But, but I don't know about that. I don't no, know that he's... No, he's less likable. Because he calls Quark on his on his BS, you know? No, he's kind Everybody of... Everybody does. But he's kind of our... He he's, he's our Odo substitute for this episode, because Odo's not in this until the very end. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Because he could solve all the problems. Like, oh, we're stuck in the turbo lift. Oh, no. Turn into some goose. You can slide well, through the vents. In, in, in the companion, <laughs> they actually talk about the original concept when the ship was actually underwater and they needed to go save them. It was Odo who he's like, well, I'm liquid. Let me just go down there and save everyone, you know? Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, just go do that. Everyone yeah. down the ship is like, it's cool. Odo's got this. Yep. No, Odo's got it. As much as I like Odo, I think this is what they came up with is better. Yeah, I think this is a better idea. But All right. Well, it was three seasons later that the second Mac and Ordover episode was released. Season 7 of, of Deep Space Nine. It's only a paper moon, which uh, was based on a story by Mac and Ordover, but uh, the script was by Ronald D. Moore. Yeah. Matt, would you want to give a description of It's Only a Paper Moon? Well, yes, uh, the basic premise is this is a, me- a direct sequel, in a sense, to the Siege of AR-558, where you're dealing with the fallout of Nog having lost a leg in that battle. He goes to live with Vic Fontaine as a sort of a, a rehabilitation process, but he quickly gets caught up in the program and doesn't ever want to leave, and it becomes really a show about uh, wartime P- PTSD, in a sense. Yeah, it's kind of like like it's the family to Siege of AR-558's Best of Both Worlds, in a sense. It's like a, a, a sequel, but at the same time, whereas the other one was sort of like a, a big sort of action piece... This is more about the fallout, yes. you know, and the and the personal story and what happens. And uh, as much as you know, I love family and everything like that. I have to say that this is superior to that. I, I honestly think that this is one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine of all of Star Trek. I'm not going to specify Deep Space Nine. It's one of the best episodes of all of Star Trek. the The idea that Nog, you know, a character who was introduced in the pilot as I don't even know what, you know, not comic relief, but sort of just like a, an extra, an expanded extra. And then they they took him through the whole thing with, with Jake and everything like that. The fact that they eventually got to the point where they, you know, blew off this guy's leg and then were able to tell a story like this with that character, that to me kind of like speaks to what 
Deep Space Nine does best, why Deep Space Nine is as great as it is. And it's really about um, seeing what you have and utilizing it to its you know full potential in terms of like the characters and the storylines and all that stuff. And this is like one of uh, the most interesting character studies I've ever seen in Star Trek and uh, you know, one of the sort of like emotionally um, touching episodes as well. And I, I love everything about it. What, what about you, Matt? What, do you, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, when I initially watched this, I think I was maybe 14. And I, I liked it, but I don't know if I could appreciate it back then the way I do now. Uh, mainly because I wanted to get back to the war. Because that was yeah. just the cool storyline when you're 14 years old. But mm-hmm. uh, looking at this now, you're right. I, I don't think Star Trek d- does a lot of PTSD episodes. You mentioned family. And while I, I think that's very well acted... Um, Picard's emotional breakdown in that episode, while supremely acted by Patrick Stewart, seems very minor considering what he went through in the previous two episodes. And I, I kind of like that in this episode they really hit hit hard with how, how much this has affected Nog. And I, I, I think it speaks to your point very well that I, I never would have guessed where they were taking Nog after I saw that first episode of the series. I would have never predicted it would end up this way in season seven. And I really kind of appreciate um, seeing this aspect of war because while I think that DS9 did a great job of showing how the war affected the Federation on a massive scale where we see like ships destroyed and all that sort of stuff. We, we didn't, we hadn't really seen up until now, like the very um, individualized consequences of war and siege of ar-558 is was one of the first times where you actually got to see how war is psychologically damaging to a lot of people and this continued on with that and i really appreciated about that it's very unique in that sense for star trek yeah that's true well max what, what, what about you what do you think about this episode um, I think it's a, I think it's perfectly solid. I mean, it's a good, it's a good entry. But I, I do find the, the, the particular obsession with this episode's departure kind of bizarre. I, I don't consider this to be much of an outlier. I'm a, maybe it's not an outlier. Maybe it's just a sort of perfect example of, of also how I hate Vic Fontaine. Really, I love Vic Fontaine. I cannot stand oh, Vic man. Fontaine. First off, his music. Is oh, I love it. I have the album and everything. I don't like the setting. I mean, what is this casino in the it's 60s? Am- see, all of that God, stuff. it's the most boring location. Like, literally like, every other possible scenario for, like, a, like a, a singer in that scenario. I mean, you, 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 oh, no. you call this one of the most boring holodeck stuff. And I, I what, about ten years ago, I probably would have agreed with you. Having just rewatched the two Fairhaven episodes, I think I've grown an appreciation for Vic Fontaine a little bit more. No, you guys are nuts. In I mean, like comparison to Fairhaven, maybe I guess, but I mean, like I, the sixth. I don't get this. This like freaking like I, Rat Pack. No, like, oh, they're I, so cool. I, no, I love actually, that. they look ridiculous. Well, well they can look ridiculous. I, I, I'm perfectly. But... I, I I'm just fine with it. I, I'm not a huge fan, but I like it. It's okay. I see. To me, I'm I'm with Nog in that I want to. I mean, if if I could. Oh God! Live, when he walks in with that ridiculous Sopranos shirt, I'm if, like, if I oh could, God, you guys. If I could, you guys, live, come on. How if, is this? A, how is this possibly a desirable setting to no, live? No, this that's, looks that's great. Awful. If if I could live with Vic Fontaine and his suite at that hotel, oh. I would. 
because that seems like maybe it, it comes from you know my love for movies like like Hard Eight and stuff like that. But I oh, oh. I, I would love that. The, the thing that I, I would, would argue in favor oh. of using the Vic Fontaine set and era in this in this particular episode is because I think it serves as the what would be the 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 ideal setting that would be the most departure from the 24th century and from the war aspect that he just went through it would be this yeah. 1960s las vegas thing whether you go with it or not as as, a, as an aesthetic of whether you like it or not is a different thing but i think the the usage of it is correct in that it's it, it would be the most it would be the most far removed setting from from what he had just experienced so see i prefer a mixture of the two extremes here not like not the extreme of the of it's only a paper moon, but the extreme of the original concept, meeting somewhere in the middle. I'm thinking three camera sitcom. Well, well, actually, Mike, why don't you tell us what the original concept of this episode was? Because it actually is very different from what the final product turned out to be. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it was it was according to the to the Deep Space Nine companion, which you know we always talk about, written by. Terry J. Erdman, highly, highly, highly recommended. One of the best books about the making of a television show ever written. Um, the story was pitched to Deep Space Nine in 95 by uh, Mac and Ordover, and uh, it was basically what they called Everybody Goes to Quarks, you know, uh, a play on the, you know, Everybody Goes to Rick's type everybody of thing. Everybody Loves Raymond. From uh, from Casablanca, of course. And the idea was to come up with a concept uh, for an episode which you could shoot on one set. With that, three cameras. That set, be, well, maybe you could almost. I mean, it does sound a lot like Cheers. When I was going to say this. It, I was going to say this sounds like the most dramatic episode of Cheers ever. Right. And uh, Norm comes in. He's like, "Man, I lost a leg in the war." <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh you no, know, it can't be Norm because they've already got a Norm. Well, there has you to go. be has to be Cliff. Cliff. There you go. Cliff comes. In. Cliff is totally Nog. Wow, that maps really well. <laughs> but you know, the idea was there was like a holiday or something like that in which uh, life everything day. else everything else was closed. It was life day. Life day. There you go. <laughs> And uh, Quarks was the only place which was open, so everybody goes to Quarks uh, for the, Life Day. For for Life Day because it's the only place which is open. It's kind of like Matt's going, losing it over here. He can't handle it. I know. It's like going. <laughs> it's like going to a, a you know a Chinese restaurant on Christmas, Christmas, right? Yeah. I mean that's that's the way it works. Is it? Yeah. So 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 that was the idea. Was you know you you have all of these characters who are there, and you sort of very much like Casablanca go from uh, storyline to storyline, but all within the same set. Maybe have, you know, one character, if it's Quark or whoever, walking around as sort of like a, a bridging device between all of these, these storylines. And They do kind of all come together in Casablanca. In, to, to some extent, and, here and there. And but Casablanca is set in the middle of a war. Yeah, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's sort of like a per- it, it's a great idea. And yeah, Jeff Hadar coming in, celebrating Life Day. Exactly. And that's why they, they I'm, I'm assuming, held on to that idea for years and years and years and, and always sort of went back to it as a possibility until eventually in Season 7, uh, someone came up with the idea of moving it from Quarks to Vix, at which point 
for whatever reason, that really uh, sparked uh, some creativity on the part of the writing staff and, and Ron Moore in particular, I guess. And they started writing the story. And one of the storylines was the story of Nog dealing with losing a leg. And it was Vic who was going around to all these different people, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And after writing that storyline it became clear that that was by far the strongest storyline and they needed to make an entire episode all about that so what the finished product ended up becoming was vastly different from what Mac and Ordover wrote however as uh, Moore says in in the book you know that idea was what led them down the road to what it's only a paper moon became and mm-hmm. You know, credit where credit's due. You know, Mac and Nordover are credited with uh, the story for this episode. And I think that's really interesting. But what do you guys think about that original concept? What if that was the episode? I could have gone with it, especially... Um, I, I, I don't know. If we're going to do the Vic storyline, I, I, I don't know if I would want to see him go around from table well, to let's, table. But it, let's let's go, go back even further and let's go to the Quark storyline. I, I would have enjoyed the Quark storyline. That could have been cool. Yeah. I, I, what, what about you, yeah. Max? Um, I, I, I think that both ideas are very solid. I, I think that the original idea seems totally reasonable. But I do actually kind of find it strange how Vix does function very well as a counterpart to Quark's. Yeah. Because I like there's that joke where like Quark doesn't really like Vic Fontaine. He sees him <laughs> as his competition. Yeah. And when that line comes up, I was like, I agree. Yeah, I guess it's I true. I kind of feel like, like they even thought, even in terms of characters on the show. <laughs> yeah, they kind of it's kind of seems like they were like Quark doesn't really work as the bartender anymore. We've kind of done too much with him. Mm-hmm. We think maybe we need a different guy to sort of walk around and talk to characters and not get too involved in things. Yeah. Uh, and and so Vic Fontaine's presence does kind of perpetually seem strange that he runs a bar yes. in a bar. Yeah. I mean, like, it's at weird. what point does somebody set up a bar in his bar and he goes, now I know what Quark feels like. <laughs> and he says that to the camera. Yeah. Because it would it's have to be in this episode with sitcom. a three camera yes. setup. I have a feeling this episode would have, a, would have a laugh track. Yes. It wouldn't have it a would laugh have... track. It would have a multi species laugh track. There you go. There you go. Lots of breen laughter, which sounds a lot like sucking blood. Uh, it's like this is turning into a war comedy, so this is like slowly becoming an episode of Mash. There you go. Yeah. Oh it's god. Like Mash. So when it comes that out on DVD, rad. the 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 it laugh will, track will, will be gone. It will not have the laugh track. Yeah. yeah, it will not have the laugh track. Wow, I really like this idea. Can we do this? <laughs> Maybe. See, to me, like. I mean, as much as I love It's Only a Paper Moon, and I do love the finished episode, like, when I heard about the concept, the original concept, and this everybody goes to Quark's thing, I'm like, I want to see that. I still want to see that so badly, and you could still do it, so it and it would be amazing. That would be the reunion show. Let's get everybody back and just there film the episode in one set and see where they I are mean, ten years oh, later. Like, that's red when they don't care anymore. Right, I mean, that's what you want, right? Yeah, you want them to not care about making but, a good episode, so they just make one that's ridiculous. No, 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 I mean, they care about no, making a good episode. No, no, I, I, thought I want you them to the, not care. I mean, like, to me, like, even just the idea, the, the sort of 
device which gets them in there, the idea that every other place is closed and people just go there because that's their only option. That seems so perfect. I mean, it, that that to me would be an awesome episode. I, w- I would love that episode so much. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder, I mean, I'm honestly, I'm honestly not too familiar with uh, the stuff that, that Mac has done in, in the novels. I wonder if he's done this. I, I... And if not... If not, I I hope he does. I've not come across this in any of his novels. I've read most of them, I think. But uh, I kind of want to... I would pay the cast of DS9 just to film this one episode. Just this one reunion episode and see what happens. So, so Matt, uh, as someone who has read um, Mac's novels, what do you think about them? And and what do you think about them in comparison to his uh, Deep Space Nine stuff? Well... I think his deep space, his time on Deep Space Nine helped influence his novels a little bit only because when I think Mac is at his strongest, he's usually writing either um, a- action set pieces like the whole um, – he wrote the Destiny trilogy, which is the Borg invasion of the Alpha Quadrant, which by far is one of my favorite uh, novel series trilogies in, in the Star Trek universe because that is a sector-wide war. It's, it's even feels much more expansive than, than the Dominion War. Or he does really, really good political thrillers. When he first came on my radar was when he did the, the two his two entries in the Time Two series, which uh, bridged the gap between Insurrection and Nemesis, and his mm-hmm. two entries were very much a political thriller, and that's like one of my favorite subgenres of all time. And he recently did another entry in a political thriller series last year in the fall. So mm-hmm. he does those stories very well. I love it when he when he does that, that sort of stuff. So good stuff. When did the fall come out? Uh, for a, it was a series that lasted from August to December of last year. The fall. All right. All right. Did it come out in the fall? Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, Matt, what are you? Any final thoughts on uh, David Mack and, and his and his work on Star Trek? Uh, specifically on Deep Space Nine? I, I really think he contributed some solid episodes. I know that the second one was changed dramatically from what it what it, its initial inception was, but very good work, and, and the man knows how to write these characters, and they, it continues in his novels, I'll just say that much. He, he knows the characters inside and out, so a uh, really big fan of these two episodes. What about you, Max? Um, yeah, um, it, it's hard to find people who were involved in Deep Space Nine that I'm not a big fan of. So yeah, I, I stand by like the, the 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 submarine stories in in Star Trek as being pretty darn good, considering how often they do submarine stories. <laughs> it's kind of shocking how rarely they completely fall apart. Like let's say Nemesis, for example, hypothetically. <laughs> yeah, I I would agree. You know, the the thing about about Mac is. It seems like based on these two episodes and the concept, you know, for for it's only a paper moon, the original concept or whatever, um, he really does seem to have a good handle on the characters. Like even in the the submarine episode, it's all about the characters, and it's not just like a good story with these characters. It's like a story which gets to the heart of these relationships, and I think that's really interesting and um, really, really, really well done. And, God, I would love to see that original version of 
everybody goes to Quark's. I mean, that just sounds like the best thing ever. It That sounds like, I mean, that would have been like D, DS9's Data's Day. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure DS9's Data's Day is let's all go to the Hollow Suite. Uh, take me out to the Hollow Suite? Yes. Maybe. But, I like to mix things up. Okay, maybe. But as much as I love uh, take me out to the Hollow Suite and as much as I love baseball, baseball? I would. Baseball? Baseball. I would love to see sure it's some sci-fi sport. Yes, I would love to see everybody goes to Quarks even more. There's something about that concept. I love these I sort ag- of. Like, I agree with that because I <sighs> I find the baseball rather boring. Uh, okay, what regardless? But I mean, can you because oh. you know they're playing baseball. I mean, this and baseball is boring. Okay, I disagree, but whatever. Th- that would just be an amazing episode. Baseball to me. agrees with me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, um, Matt. Yes. Where can people find you on the internet? You, now, you've got the Delta Quadrant over on Trekmate, and then where's uh, the, the Nerd Party? The Nerd Party is at, uh, is on Podbean. If you, if you Google the Nerd Party and Podbean, we're the first one that comes up. So, and you can find me personally on Twitter at mhanson0207, H-A-N-S-E-N. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and uh, you're welcome back anytime, even if it's not to talk about Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it can be to talk about something that's not. Wait, we have to talk about Star Trek at some point. Yeah, probably. Ooh, Star Wars! There you go. But thanks for having me on. I had a good time. Well, it was fun talking to Matt about David Mack's work in Star Trek. Sure was, talking to him just now. (laughs) But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Because we're basically pitching a, a story arc. Right. Like like we're Babylon 5, and we've got this five-year arc. Yeah. But we're going to have a three-year plus maybe the cartoons plus the movies arc. Earl Grey. Billy has 25 <laughs> symbols. He needs to trade with a non-Federation species using a different currency. What does Billy do? The Orb. They've already been kind of to that next step. I mean, he massages her all the time. And well, he knows helps her that, out of the tub. Again. He knows that she has rashes on her thighs. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> I mean, so to the journey. You know, talk about a, a heavy-handed message. It, like literally on your back. It, like literally on your back. Like I want you to feel the weight. You know, like this. <laughs> like this is the kind of non-subtlety that makes it fun. Warp five. The fact of the matter is, Bacula is playing this character just as he should. It's true that Archer seems a bit uneasy, lacking in confidence. But he's the first human captain to see these strange new worlds. The ready room. I haven't gotten to the point in my research where I'm I'm that caught up. I mean, I, I'm very much stuck right in season one of Next Gen and kind of have That's blinders kind of on everything else right now. Yeah, boy, tell me about it. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And we have kind of reached a milestone here, a little earlier than you might think we would have reached that milestone. This is the final episode of Star Trek uh, for which we have a writing credit given to Gene Roddenberry. Commentary, Trek stars. And he wanted it, the first part to be called Becoming Houdini, 
and the second part to be called Being Houdini. Should have been called Houdini Begins. Yes. And Houdini Rises. Yes. Melodic Tricks. At only 22 years of age, he conducted the Munich Symphony Orchestra using 110 pieces, a 60-piece choir, and a 30-piece children's choir. Sometimes you need the children to get them high notes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. Which Star Trek universe? And beyond. (laughs) You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for our listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our show on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Also, you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week um, by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm, and we will do that 7% solution commentary, we promise, soon. We're not, that's not even like a challenge. We're totally going to do that because that's going to be dope. Yeah, but we need to do it soon. That's fine. The The challenge is finding the time to do it. We will find the time to do it. Yes. We have the technology. Yes, we do. We don't, really. We'll figure it out either way. And we'll just be tired. All right. As always, you can find us right here on Trek FM doing this show. I also do Standard Orbit along with uh, Drew. You can find us on our website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do Commentary Track Stars Off Topic with Brandon, sort of, when he shows up. He's totally not dead. (laughs) You can contact Probably. us uh, by email at comtrackstars at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at mm-hmm. comtrackstars. You can also um, send us a voicemail. Just look on the sidebar of the show page and uh, click the little thing there and send us a voicemail. We'll play it on the air. We no will. one's ever done that. We'll totally play it on the no air. No one has ever done that. One show has gotten a voicemail, as far as I know. Was it To the Journey? Yes. Of course it was. <laughs> to the Journey! Yes. I decided to change it up. <laughs> You're saying it scornfully? Yes. To the the journey. You're making it like a a curse word? I hate those guys. (laughs) Their popularity and their happiness. (laughs) Uh, You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can also find the Babel Conference on Facebook. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion uh, button on the menu bar. Uh, and before we like to go, we'd like to ask <laughs> uh, for you before to... Before we'd like to go with <laughs> the <asking>. talk words! <laughs> Please go to audible.com, which is our sponsor. Uh, they help us bring commentary, Trek Stars, and all of our other shows to you each week. And um, 
you can get a free book there since you listen to Commentary Track Stars. In fact, a book that you can get there is the book we're going to be talking about next week. That's The Calling by David Mack. Mm -hmm. Next week you're going to say very positive things about that in the future. Yes, since we already recorded that thing. Don't! Spoilers! (laughs) Okay. All right. But if you want to know why we're going to say positive things about this book next week, get the book this week. Listen to the book, it, so, and then next so week when we're to talking do, to David Mack, free book and exactly. It's and then, honestly, if you don't, you're failing all of us and yourself. Right, and then and then next week when we're talking to David Mack about the calling, mm-hmm. you'll know what we're talking about. We'll leave you a voicemail. Yeah, and you can get this book for free since you're a listener to Trek FM. Mm-hmm. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary Trek Stars and Trek FM. So that's it for David Mack's work in Star Trek on the screen. On the screen. If you want to hear about his work in the books... Go over to Literary Treks, because they talk about him a lot. It will not end. You'll just be listening for the rest of your life. Right, because he's written like he's, he's He writes books. more books than we record audio on Trek FM. Exactly. So head over to Literary Treks, catch up on your David Mack uh, Star Trek stuff, and then come back here next week where we will be joined by David Mack to discuss his original novel, The Calling. The Calling.